Hello, this is Eric Bryant, pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin. If you want more resources, including the notes from this message, go to ericbryant.org. Or to find out more about our community, go to gatewaychurch.com south. So Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, in which now at his appointed season he is brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. All right, let me just point out a couple things. One, um, that's a long sentence. (laughs) And you'll notice with Paul, he'll write long what seems like run-on sentences. Uh, They didn't have punctuation the same as we do. He wrote this in Greek. The original language is in Greek in the New Testament. And so, um, and we'll talk through kind of some interesting things that I've learned over the years about some of the words that we translate into English. For example, Messiah is a Hebrew word that in Greek is Christ. And in English, we use the word Christ. But that literally means Messiah, right? But I want to just pull out a couple words. So what I, what I did today as I was looking this over is I thought I'm going to hit a couple words that might be um, unfamiliar or uh, may have been misinterpreted uh, in the past. Um, so, for example, uh, the word apostle. When you hear the word apostle, uh, there's a movie called The Apostle. Uh, who's the actor in that? No, uh, who? Duvall, that's it. Robert Duvall. He's an apostle, and he beats up somebody with a bat. It's, that's all I remember. And it was shocking. Uh, Theodore, do you mind closing the door? Yeah. That way we don't know what our children are doing. Uh, so uh, the apostle, uh, sometimes that word can be abused, misused. Uh, in some churches, there's kind of a hierarchy. I'm better than everybody else because I'm the apostle, that sort of thing. But the word literally means one who is sent out. Now, there are the 12 apostles, which were the ones who followed with Jesus. Um, But then Paul becomes uh, called by God to go out and tell other people about Jesus. So he is an apostle, a missionary sent out. That isn't a gift, a spiritual gift. There are some people that have the spiritual gift of apostleship. They like starting things. That's sometimes, whether it's churches or ministries or life groups, that sort of thing. And then there's another word, the elect. Um, the elect. Now, this is a really interesting one because there are a lot of churches that um, have a different understanding on this. And there have been denominations split over this. So I'm just going to share with you kind of how I read this, how Gateway reads that word. And it may be different than what you've grown up with or have heard. Um, But some, this word, the elect, In some context, some people believe that God has chosen some and has rejected others. And you have basically, you know, and he's God so he can do that is kind of how that works itself out. Now, the downside of that is, uh, or not just the downside, but the problem with that is there's a lot of verses that indicate that anyone who chooses to follow Jesus is now one of the chosen, all right? So 
the chosen, or the, sorry, the elect, can, that word can also be translated as chosen one. Now, I'm going to show you a little trick. This is where seminary has become obsolete in some ways. I think I have these slides on there. Uh, Jerry, you'll have to help me. Does it have the, uh, that's it, yeah. Go, is there another one before that? So all you got to do is go to Google, type in uh, a verse in the Bible, and then you just say interlinear. So Titus chapter 1, verse 1, interlinear. I-N-T-E-R-L-I-N-E-A-R, interlinear. And you will get the original language with the, the English translation right to it. So I took Greek, I took Hebrew, pointless. I don't remember it, and now I don't need it, all right? But here's what you do. Uh, when you see the word elect, where is it? There it is, far right. You just click on the number. See the number? You click on that number. Now, you can click on the word, and it'll give you a definition of the word. But if you click on the number, it'll take you to the next slide. Jerry will show you. And there is the definition of the word elect on the left, which is chosen. Then you can go on the right, and it'll show you every single time it's in the scriptures and how it was translated there. So you, all of a sudden, you get a really good sense of, oh, wow, that's what that means. So when you hear, when you and I, again, in English, the word elect sounds like, I have chosen you, and I have rejected you. But that's not the heart of God. In fact, we're going to read those three passages. The best way to interpret the scripture is with the scripture. That's good. Interpret the Bible with the Bible. So somebody read for us. Who had Romans 10, 9 through 13? Okay, Mike, I'm going to give you the mic so everybody can hear you. Romans 10, 9 through 13. For if you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and believe in your own heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in his heart that a man becomes right with God, and with his mouth he tells others of his faith, confirming his salvation. For the scriptures tell us that no one who believes in Christ will ever be disappointed. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord, who generously gives his riches to all those who ask him for them. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All right. So according to this, who is excluded? No one. Everyone has the opportunity. Anyone who calls out, everyone who calls out, can have that relationship with God. Okay? Uh, who had 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9? Okay. Beloved, do not forget this one thing: that the Lord, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but it, but is long long suffering, and toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay. Once again, who is God wanting to have a relationship with? Everybody, right? In fact, it says uh, he is patient that we might all have the chance to say yes. So here's what it means. The word elect. The word elect means chosen. So what is the chosen one supposed to be? And if God is choosing all of us and the elect are those who have said yes, 
Let's read Genesis 12. Let's go back to the beginning and let's see when someone is chosen and they say yes, what happens? Who had Genesis 12, 1 through 3? The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on, on earth will be blessed through you. All right, so... Blessed to do what? To bless. Chosen as a way of, by choosing Abram, also known as Abraham, God was choosing all of humanity. Because through Abram, Abraham, as he became to be known later, everyone has access to God. So here's the catch. The church, people of Israel, anyone who's been the chosen ones, if they're not careful, can slip into, I'm chosen, you're not nanny nanny boo boo right uh, uh, we are the elect you are the unelectable right um, and that's not actually what's happening at all God uh, I believe if God if you were raised in a Christian home too much is given much is expected right uh, if you were not raised in a Christian home but you uh, are in a Christian nation right we have the opportunity more than in other places and so if you have been uh, in any environment, which right now all of us are in this, this environment, you're hearing God loves you. He has chosen you. Do you want to be his child? So like a middle school foster kid, they get to decide whether or not they want to be adopted. We get to decide whether or not we want to be adopted. And when we're adopted as a child of the king, we now represent him. We are blessed to be a blessing. All right, so that's really important. Um, that can skew a lot of what you read or even how you treat other people. Uh, and I was a part of a church in Seattle and the pastor had this theology that was more, some are chosen and some are rejected. And you know what? That's what God wants to do. That he can do whatever he wants. And what it created was um, not just an us versus them, but also a, well, we tried, they weren't interested, must not be, it, you know, they must not be of the elect. But in reality, uh, you know, this, this guy was also, um, if he wasn't careful, not as engaged with the neighbors, wasn't loving to the neighbors. Blame them instead of looking in the mirror and figure out, is there more I can do to share this message more clearly? All right. So it's not about believing facts about God, but about surrendering all of our lives to God. That's how we become a child of the king. We are chosen and then we're sent out. We are blessed to be a blessing. N.T. Wright, who wrote the book, Paul, a biography, said, God is saving us so we can be a part of saving others. There's another great quote I want to read from, from him when it comes to understanding who we are. What Paul is doing, and this is really remarkable, Paul is starting little churches where men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, all have freedom, equality. Spiritual gifts are given to all. doesn't matter what your position is in society. doesn't matter your gender. And what's happening is, again, heaven meets earth in these little communities. 
You can imagine, in a place where 80% of the people were enslaved, you can go into this little house church and they would ask you to teach because you had the spiritual gift of teaching. And suddenly you have respect. Um, there was all these lines were, were demolished. So listen to this quote from N.T. Wright. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's a really good one. And Jerry, I think I, yeah, that may have been it. Go back. I, I think I skipped it earlier. Yeah, uh, the one that says, we are God's poetry. So we are God's poetry, God's artwork. God has accomplished and will accomplish the entire new creation in the Messiah and by the Spirit. When someone believes the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, and discovers its life-transforming power, that person becomes a small but significant working model of that new creation. We are not merely beneficiaries of God's mercy. We are also agents. We are poems in which God is addressing his world, and as poems are designed to do, we break open existing way, we break open existing ways of looking at things and spark the mind to imagine a different way to be human. That's a big deal. All right. So first section is about a new God. We saw in the Bible Project video how uh, the pagan God was a liar, Zeus, uh, whereas Paul starts off to Titus, remember, our God is not a liar like the pagan gods. Our God has integrity. He is holy. He is trustworthy. Second section, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 16, is about new leaders. He's saying, remember these, uh, remember the, co the, the, the comparison. There are these leaders who are out for dishonest gain, and they're called part of the circumcision group. All right, we're going to get into a little anatomy lesson here for just a second. Uh, don't worry, there are no pictures. Uh, but the circumcision group. Now, back in those days, what distinguished the Jewish people was not just how they lived their life, but there was a, a ritual called circumcision. And you knew back in those days because they had public baths. They didn't have showers in their house. Like you would go to the bath where the community would come and it's a social setting. And, and you knew who was Jewish and who wasn't. All right, you just could tell. Everybody was naked. They had a women's time and a men's time. And so you knew. Now, here's what's interesting. Once the message of Jesus uh, began to spread that the Jewish Messiah has come, he was killed on a cross, he died for us, but he rose from the dead, Gentiles wanted to start following him. So there was a dilemma. And some of the Jewish people said, oh, if, you, if they want to follow Jesus, that's great. They need to be circumcised. They need to start following the ways of Judaism. So the early church had a dilemma because Jesus never said that. Uh, and so they had this big debate going on. And it had already been settled by the time Paul wrote Titus, but there was still some of what's called the circumcision group. And we'll talk about this more next week. But they were Jewish Christians who insisted that Gentiles should practice Judaism before they followed Jesus. Um, but this group was really, it wasn't just that, but they were all about power and dishonest gain. And so what he's saying is, look, rather than these rebellious, they talk, mean, they talk meaninglessness, they deceive, their teaching is untrue. What I want you to do is I want you to appoint godly leaders. He calls them elders. As Phyllis mentioned earlier, we have elders in our church. Uh, we call them overseers is another word. We also have a board of directors, uh, men and women who make decisions for the church. Uh, the board of directors is more about budgets and salaries. Uh, spiritual, the overseers are more about spiritual health. 
And so uh, what's the qualification of an elder, of an overseer? So let's look at this. I think I have a slide that has them all up there. So instead of the rebellious, the detestable, the disobedient, the unfit for doing anything good, all they have to do is all of this. Okay? Now, I want to just point out a few things here. Um, blameless. Now, that might sound intense, right? Uh, any of us here blameless? Well, it literally means without uh, accusation or indictment. Unchargeable. Okay? Uh, there's another one. It says faithful to spouse. In, this, in the passage, it's, it's literally the phrase a one-woman man. And we'll talk about that here more in a moment. But in essence, uh, for sure, it means they shouldn't have multiple wives, which was common practice then and still common practice in that part of the world in certain places. Um, and it means they're not um, promiscuous. Okay, So a one-woman man. Uh, they have kids that are faithful. They're not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. They're hospitable. They love God. Or, or they love what is good. They're self-controlled, upright, holy, which in this case means unpolluted. You see in the scriptures, be holy just as God is holy, which means you're living for God, you're making sacrifices for God out of gratitude, and, and you're experiencing more of his presence, you're experiencing a glimpse of heaven on earth. Uh, they're disciplined, and they hold firmly to the truth. Now here's a catch. Um, how many of you grew up in environments where women, say you grew up in church, how many of you grew up in environments where women were pastors or elders? Oh my goodness, none of us, okay? Um, so our church has women elders, women overseers, women pastors. And the reason we do that is because when we read the Bible, we see them in there. So we're not making this up. <laughs> um, and in fact, um, in Galatians, which we'll look at, I think, next week, um, there's this beautiful phrase, a uh, quote, where Paul says, in the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, here's an interesting thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna either make you sad or make you happy right now. I'm not sure. Um, I believe that oftentimes our cultural kind of like what you were talking about earlier, we take our cultural understanding of things and we apply it to the Bible. Okay. So let me give you a little example. In Genesis chapter 2, when the woman is created, what is the woman referred to for Adam? The helper. Now, do you know when that word is used in the scriptures, uh, the word helper? The other times that is used, it's actually referring to God. It's more like a savior. In fact, Genesis chapter 2, the woman is the pinnacle of creation. She completes what the man is unable to do. So... Again, from a, a sexist mentality, you can read an English word helper, but then the Hebrew word means savior, <laughs> rescuer, as like when you say God is my helper, then all of a sudden it changes everything and there's not an inequality. In fact, what's happening in the garden, they were equal. Then the fall and there was this a woman will be subject to the man and that sort of thing. That is not what God designed. That's actually what has happened. But we're actually called to live by God's design. All right? So that's what's happening. Paul is saying we should live like God created us to live in the garden because we're where heaven meets earth. All right? Now, uh, let me 
read through this because we're going to talk about slaves in a little bit because that's in this passage too. Let me uh, read this long quote. Uh, I think that's the one you brought up earlier, Jerry. Within the cultural restraints of his day. Now think about this. Paul is just a dude. He lives in the Roman world. They're persecuted, right? So he's writing to real people, real churches saying, hey, keep things on the down low. You've got freedom in this place. Don't ruin it, right? Don't be, don't be silly with your freedom. But within the cultural restraints of his day, Paul and the early church did not act precipitously. The subordination of Gentiles was difficult to root out. Even one of their leaders, Peter, was rude to Gentiles, right? Because they weren't as good. They weren't the chosen people like the Jews. Slavery was not immediately abolished in the church. But Paul wrote a letter to Philemon saying, hey, let Onesimus go, right? Let your slave go. Likewise, women did not immediately receive full and equal participation with men in the ministry of the church. However, Phoebe is mentioned as a deacon in Romans 16. Junia is a female apostle, also in Romans 16. The leaders of the church at Philippi were women, Philippians 4. Priscilla assumed an authoritative teaching role over men in Acts 18, and the elect lady of 2 John may well have been a prominent church leader with a congregation under her care. Also, there is no distinction between who gets what spiritual gifts. This is really different than how it sounds like all of us grew up, Right? And so, again, when you look at the scriptures through with an open heart and open mind, what does the Bible say instead of what does America say, and how do I make it match what the Bible says? And same happened with slavery. It was followers of Jesus that were leaders in the abolitionist movement. It was the Christian uh, nations influenced by Christianity that brought freedom uh, for slaves. But if you watch 12 Years a Slave, you also know there were Christians who quoted the Bible to keep people in check, when really the leaders, like Paul, were saying, no, this should not be. Let them go. All right, now this is, again, it's hard for us to understand, but if you think about it, this is how God works with us personally. You come as you are, and then he takes you further and further. You look backwards, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've come this far. He's doing the same with humanity. All right, the same is true with humanity. All right, that's important to note. All right, let's look. Uh, oh, so here's one of the funniest, here, to me, maybe the funniest verse in the whole Bible. Funniest verse in the whole Bible. So basically he says, all you got to do is appoint elders. And this is what they look like. They're really super spiritually healthy people, <laughs> right? And then he says this, if you can go to that next one. It's Titus chapter 1, verse 12. He says, one of the Cretans' own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Here's the funniest verse in the Bible. This is true. <laughs> right? This saying is true. I mean, even to this day, 2,000 years later, if you hear someone say, that guy is such a Cretan, that is not a compliment. Right? So basically, Paul was saying, Paul, your job is to turn Cretans into overseers. To turn Cretans a lazy, evil, gluttonous brutes into godly, kind, hospitable, wonderful people. All right? That's all. That's all you got to do. All right? So then how do you do it? Let's look at chapters 2 and chapter 3 really quickly. Uh, chapter 2 is a new household. He talks about teaching and rebuking. He goes into older men, older women, younger women. Uh, interesting phrase. It says they uh, will be sub... Um, 
chapter, I'm sorry, the chapter two, when it's talking about younger women, it's talk, it uses the phrase uh, subject to their husbands. Did you see that? Uh, so you do a little interlinear thing. I did it this afternoon, clicked on that word. I saw all the other times it's used, and you can see it used of men multiple times. Uh, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, 21, just before one of those verses that says, wives submit to your husbands, it literally says right before it, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so the, the literal version is subject yourself to one another in the fear of God. And then you see younger men, and then you see slaves addressed. Now here's what's amazing. Think about this for a second. Just the fact that Paul includes slaves. Now, it makes sense for him because 80% of the Roman world was enslaved. This is a different type of slavery. Every seven years they were granted freedom. A lot of times it's, I want to pay off my debt. Can I work for you and live with you? They took care of them. This is not the taking people, putting them on a boat, taking them across the ocean, separating from families. That's not how the ancient world did it. It's still not good. But that was even a next level of evil. But what happens is, think about this. He's addressing them as human beings. He's telling them, look, this is how you win over your master towards faith. And then we see later, a believer who has faith, a master who has faith, I'm sorry, a slave and a master who both have faith, that's the letter that Paul sends out saying, hey, let him go. He's your brother. He shouldn't be your slave, which we'll talk about Philemon on a Sunday coming up here on July 7th, right after we celebrate our nation's freedom. All right, this is revolutionary stuff. So teach them, rebuke them, and then listen to this phrase, chapter 2, 11 through 13. This is amazing. This is how you turn a Cretan into an overseer. This is how you and I overcome the things that we've struggled with for years. Chapter 2, verse 11, 12, and 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our, God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Grace helps us say no. What is grace? God's favor. His unmerited, undeserved, unconditional love. Religion is our attempt to get God to love us by doing good things. Grace means we're loved even before we did anything, even though we don't deserve it, and we do good out of gratitude. We want to do the right thing. And remember, our relationship with God is just like a relationship with any other person. Uh, I, I, one of my favorite series I've ever watched was Downton Abbey. Do you think if I wasn't married to Deborah, I would have even watched it? I don't think so. Uh, she loves all the Marvel movies, because I think she loves me. Right? I have come to love what she loves because I love her and vice versa. Right? You come to want um, to, to um, well, you come to enjoy what the other enjoys. And the same is true in your relationship with God. You want what he wants for your life because you trust him in a way that you didn't before. All right, last little chapter, and then we'll move into our, our tiny little groups. A new humanity. Um, I learned this years ago. You see this pattern over and over in the scriptures. Put off the old and put on the new. All right, so I grew up with a church that taught me sin management. How far is too far? What can I get, you know, what can I do when it's not too much? Uh, put off the old 
put on the new. So you replace anxiety by focusing on peace. If you try to stop worrying, I need to stop worrying. All I can do is worry. I got to stop worrying. Well, now you're worrying about worry. Don't focus on worry and anxiety. You focus on peace. You put off the old, put on the new. So the old ways uh, is being foolish when you read chapter 3. Disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's the old way. Instead, be willing to follow your leaders, obedient, ready to do whatever is good, not slandering, peaceable, considerate, always uh, gentle toward everyone. We, as followers of Jesus, should be the best employees, the best neighbors, the best citizens, because God's love for us overflows into loving the people around us. So let's finish with this. Chapter 3, verse 4 through 7, a beautiful poem. Uh, Maybe it's even a song, Um, but Paul quotes it, and it's a beautiful expression of, you see, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God represented in three persons in this verse. This verse, this passage, um, is one I memorized back in college. It's incredibly beautiful, and it shows us um, really a summary of the entirety of the message of the Scriptures. So here it is. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. How are we saved? Is it by the good things we do? It's by trusting in the great things he's done for us.